Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Roadshow for Friday, May 21st. It's been a fun week in the NFL, getting a chance to see these draft picks on the field for the first time with their teams, at least in pictures and, you know, social media video clips. But we've got Justin Fields on the field with the Bears. We've got Trey Lance in Santa Clara, a couple of teams that we will undoubtedly be following very closely come training camp time as we track the quarterback battles in those two cities. Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville on the field with his new receiver, Travis Etienne, and his new tight end, Tim Tebow. Man, talk about camps that are going to get some attention this year. It's like Urban Meyer is making decisions down there with the debate shows in mind. Like, how should we fire up Skip Bayless today? So obviously, Etienne is not a wide receiver, but they got him reps at that position exclusively during their rookie minicamp in an effort to work on his pass-catching skills, obviously, uh, see what he brings to the table there, and play with the ways that they can use him. I don't think it's stupid, seeing as how that's such a huge part of offenses now, the ability to move players around, bring some unpredictability, versatility to the table. We see wide receivers coming out of the backfield doing the whole hybrid thing, and we love it. This feels like the same thing to me, just in reverse. And I think it's interesting. And frankly, we don't even know where it's going. We're talking about rookie minicamp. Let's do it now and see what happens. I kind of like the creativity, frankly. Uh, I, I like the Tebow stuff less to be honest. Um, But whatever, we'll have an open mind. And obviously, I know we will all approach that situation with a very mature and measured response, (laughs) appropriate for what it is, as the 90th guy on the roster, who's probably going to lead the league in jersey sales. Wearing number 85, by the way, the one-time quarterback who made a lot of money for apparel companies back in 2010-ish, already has a jersey up for sales on the Fanatics website after signing his contract on Thursday. Anyway, also big this week, talk about a Julio Jones trade, which we've known for a while was something that could happen. Jeff Schultz, who covers the Falcons for The Athletic, wrote an article this week saying the team would like to trade him. And he laid out the reasons why. And frankly, they're all tied to finances, as in they do not have enough cap space right now to sign their rookie class. Right? They have somewhere in the ballpark of four hundred to $600,000 available, and they need like seven to $8 million. So they have to do something, and they've already used up most of their options. They restructured a bunch of contracts. They cut a few players. They cut the salary of one player, Dante Fowler. And now, according to Schultz's sources, they're down to two options to find more money, and that is trade Jones or do something with Grady Jarrett. And Schultz says the team wants to keep Jarrett, so that would mean restructuring or extending him, and they haven't approached his agent about either. So seeing as how they would probably like to get those rookies under contract soon, that would seem to indicate that that is not option A for them. So according to Schultz, that leaves Julio, who's 32 years old. He's missed He missed seven games last season. He's obviously very good, but he is starting to show a statistical decline. So those are the reasons... We are where we are. A lot of people don't like it. They wonder why the Falcons picked Kyle Pitts as opposed to a quarterback like Justin Fields if they were going to then turn around and trade away Julio and essentially start a rebuild, quote-unquote, of their argument. You don't start a rebuild with the tight end, which typically would be right. In this case, I kind of wonder where we fall on the rebuild spectrum without Julio because... They'd still have Ridley, who 
has proven to be a very good wide receiver, though admittedly he's had Julio on the other side for most of his career. Um, but the one thing we heard all draft season too is that Pitts is not your typical tight end, right? He's a unicorn. He's a weapon. You can use him as a receiver. He does it all. So maybe they wouldn't have an elite pass-catching core like they would if they had Julio and Ridley and Pitts, but maybe if they had Ridley and Pitts still left, it would be good enough offensively to be somewhat competitive. I don't know. Of course, the fun part here for non-Falcons fans is to try and find a home for Julio, right? Is it going to be the Ravens or the Chargers or um, I think some other teams that are mentioned in the article are San Francisco, which I kind of love that idea. Uh, Patriots, Colts, a couple other ones that are mentioned there. I'll talk with my guest, Mike Sando from The Athletic, uh, who's going to join me in just a minute. This is one of the things that we'll do. We'll go through um, some of these teams and find a home for Julio. <laughs> um, Saints obviously need wideouts, and I've seen their name come up on social media, but they are literally the only team in the league that has less money than Atlanta. So even if the Falcons would trade him to their division rival, which they wouldn't, there's no way that the Saints could do it. Um, another story that caught my eye this week is the one that Mike Sando wrote, which is why he's on the show. Uh, it was also in The Athletic. Hit all my post-draft I'm in mourning about it buttons, right? Uh, it is about a declining rate of fifth-year option pickups for late first-round picks. I know that sounds super nerdy and very in the weeds, and it kind of is, I'm not going to lie to you, but I think it's very interesting because of what the data that he collected points to in terms of the value of those late first-round picks. And there seems to be an indication that they might not be as valuable as we have always treated them. And I thought the article was super interesting. It kind of flushed out in more detail something that Jordan Rodrigue wrote about last month. Um, she covers the Rams for The Athletic. And she wrote about their shifting mindset in that building to making everything more data-driven and efficient. And a good part of her article, which again, I highly recommend you read if you haven't already. It was published on April 12th, I think. You can go back and find it there. Um, a good part of it talks about the ways that they've totally changed their draft evaluation process. But it also talked a little about their team building model and the way that had changed. And it had to do with the deep valuation of late first round picks and their belief that they would get more in a trade for a proven player than they would out of those picks. And that is kind of what Sando's article explored this week. Not so much the veteran player value, but the value of the pick itself based on success rate for the players picked in those spots in recent years. And so he is here to discuss his findings with me and see if they point to any specific trends that maybe we should note for future drafts. So let's go ahead and break the huddle. Mike, I love the article. What inspired it? Well, kind of going through the draft. So I live in the Seattle area. Okay. I used to cover the Seahawks for a long time. I used to, I used to cover the NFC West. Before I was at the Athletic, I was at ESPN. I covered the NFC West. So a couple of teams in the division that I'm most familiar with, that would be the Rams, you know, the Rams and the uh, Seahawks have been trading away these first-round picks. Like the Rams aren't going to have a first-round pick from like since they took Jared Goff in 2016 until I think 2024. That's crazy. 
And yet these are good teams. Um, And so they've sort of made this decision that, hey, we're a pretty good team. These picks late in the first round don't, I mean, we're we're just, it's a lottery ticket on someone who's probably not going to be a superstar. Yeah, you're going to hit on a TJ Watt every once in a while, but there's a bunch of guys that just sort of get washed out that don't make a difference on your team. So they've traded those picks for players like Jalen Ramsey and Jamal Adams, who um, are known quantities. So the, the debate here is just sort of, Hey, at what point is it worth it to take a known quantity versus this lottery ticket that could be as good and could be really cheap. But in a lot of cases, as I looked at this more closely coming out of the draft, people aren't picking up the fifth year options for those players picked uh, late in the first round, kind of the playoff team slots, right? Which is now 19 through 32. The final 14 teams are teams that made the playoffs. They're not keeping those guys. So much. you went through and you actually looked at every single yeah. player that fit into that range. Uh, and that was someone, if you were pick 19 through 32, right? Yeah. What's so, your metric? Yeah. Yep. This system has been in place since 2011. Right to where the, the contract option. Remember, yeah, remember when that when that CBA came along, it changed the structure of the rookie contract. Mm-hmm. Remember before that, Sam Bradford was making like so much money; right. he was already like the highest paid quarterback, and he had already played. So they got that fixed, fixed <laughs> from a team standpoint and totally. from everybody's standpoint. Well, even from a player standpoint, yeah. that made no sense that this schmo who'd never played yeah. it down in the NFL was right. the highest paid player on your team day one. Right. So what that came with that system was then okay. After the player's third year, you had to decide if you wanted to buy in or not on on the fifth year. That's the fifth year option part of it. Mm -hmm. And at a set price that's, you know, not necessarily the top of the market, but it's a good chunk of change, Mm -hmm. you know. And so you're you're cruising along. And if if you had drafted uh, Lamar Jackson, it's easy or Josh Allen, you know, the guys who really hit, you're like, that's a discount. We'll do it. But if you're even a team like. you know, like like you would take uh, uh, the Bills or the uh, or the Titans picked starting linebackers in the 2018 draft. They're good players, but the Bills picked up the option. The Titans didn't. It's a value consideration. Like, what's the position they're playing? What's the number? Does that make sense? You know, right? It's sort of fascinating to me. So that that's that led me to look at it and then what i found was gall they're they're picking up these options a lot less frequently than they used to the last four drafts so that's why i wrote the story most recently the draft class of 2018 Mm -hmm. they had their deadline for their fifth year option that just went by on may 3rd right and how many of the final 14 players in the first round had their options picked up and how many didn't get picked okay, up? I think it was nine of the 14 did not, as I recall. That's I'm incredible. And kind of looking over here, cause I have a spreadsheet of it, but yeah, it's, it's, I'll, we'll look at who they are. I mean, they're, they're, if you go to 2018 draft, we start at the 19th pick. Okay. Isaiah Wynn gets picked up for new, by new England, but he hasn't done anything. He's missed more games than he's played. They're just saying, look, this tackle market sucks. Right. We'd rather bet on this guy than be in the market for, you know, uh, Ryan maybe they're Reed, just but, taking a while to develop and yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he was picked up. Uh, DJ Moore was picked up good receiver, mm-hmm. but some of the guys that weren't Hayden Hurst, Rashad Penny, right. Terrell Edmonds. That's, you know, didn't do well as a safety for the Steelers. Taven Bryan, remember him, Mike Hughes, he's already been traded, you know, um, Sony Michelle, which is another yeah. story with regard to running backs. Right. Yep. But so, so yeah, a lot of them didn't. Yeah. That's a lot. And, and I think 
as you brought up in your article, and I think it's a worth a question worth asking is, you know, for so long, we have really valued these first round picks in particular, but draft capital in general, I remember having this conversation over the years, time and time again, about trades, potential trades. And I was like, that guy's so good. I would totally give a first round, like what, whatever it takes, like bring him in. And people were like, I don't know, first round pick that's super valuable. And I was like, you don't even know if that guy's going to hit, you know, that this guy is a pro bowler or an all pro player because pro bowl is dumb. It's a popularity contest, but, but you know what I mean? So I was always really confused about how we, I, I thought we placed too much of a value on draft picks. I think it's interesting now to see the data seems to be implying that yeah. it we're, we're catching up to that thought process. Not that I was right, but like that yeah. that's where it seems to be going, that that there is more value being placed now on a known commodity rather than the incredible upside of somebody who might hit because it does feel like it's kind of hit right. or miss. And that, But what's weird about this experiment is that we're talking about first rounders. Like there's only like, you know, the, t- the cream of the crop and then it does drop off and then it's hit or miss. Absolutely. And some of this, I think the calculus that you're making is, do we have a quarterback? Because if you don't have one, mm. uh, you may want those first round picks to be able to maneuver, right? To be able to get one because that's going to help you climb up the board. If you're, if you're a team that doesn't have a quarterback, now we're giving away picks for good players, but how do we get our quarterback now, right? Because if mm-hmm. we have a bad year, that pick could be higher. So you're you're really making that determination of evaluating our own roster. Are we going to be picking late in the round? Look at Kansas City. Like they decided we'd rather have Orlando Brown mm-hmm. than whoever we were going to pick with the 31st pick. I think it's a smart move. Well, 100%, especially if you look at the draft and the way that things played out, considering the fact that they needed a tackle. Yep. So they get a tackle that they know they can plug in. The tackles that were going late in the first round were guys that were like question marks anyway. Yep. And in fact, a lot of the guys I thought were going to go at the end of the first round at the tackle position didn't even go at the end of the first round because the teams didn't even value them that high. Yep. So I think that's an easy argument to make that that was a win for them. They also traded a late round pick in 2019 for Frank Clark. Um yep. The Seahawks, as you mentioned, traded two for Jamal Adams. The Cowboys traded one a few years ago for Amari Cooper. The Rams traded two for Ramsey. The Rams traded two for Stafford. We don't know how Stafford will work out, but I feel like all of the other ones that we've mentioned have been players who have been game changers for those teams. You, I, I would much rather have that than a draft pick considering the numbers that we're looking at here, which, so let's go through the numbers. The numbers of options picked up at the end of the first, 19 through 32, again, the the final 14 teams. Mm -hmm. Um, You've noticed that that the percentage of fifth-year options that are getting picked up are even going down from what they were when when it started in 2011. Um, So it feels like we're looking at a trend. Do you think that that's the case? I do. So there's been eight drafts that are uh, in play here, 2011 through 2018, because 19, 20, and 21, they haven't had their options picked up yet. So those are the years we're talking about. So you put them into two buckets and you have four drafts like 2011, 12, 13, 14, and one, and 15, 16, 17, 18, and another. And in this 2011 to 2014 bucket, uh, they were getting picked up at about 58%. Um, of those uh, would be picked up. And I think it's been closer to 38% in the last four drafts. So you ask yourself, uh, and then by the way, those are now guaranteed. Starting this year, it's fully guaranteed money. So I'll give you an example. A few years ago, 
the Bears picked up the option for Leonard Floyd, but they cut him before the next season, and they didn't have to pay him. Now, okay. if you pick up the option, that's locked in. Right. You can cut him, but he's getting that money. So right. it's an even more of a disincentive against picking up the option, right? You got to be really sure. The other thing that happens late in the first round is the top guys at the premium positions have been taken, yes. right? So you have a choice to make late in the round. Do we take the highest rated player at running back, at tight end, um, at center, or some of the positions that, yeah, you want to have good players on your team, but they're not really the premium positions, linebacker. Mm-hmm. Even if those guys are good, you're going to be asking yourself in a few years, do we want to sign up for a top of the market level when we may be able to just go get a veteran, right? Or well, that is like one that. of the things I noticed when, because you broke it down by position mm-hmm. and it looked like there were some positions in that range of 19 to 32 that were getting their fifth year options picked up more frequently. And I feel like that's probably related to the thing that you said, like tight end, uh, they're still getting picked up at a, let's see, a hundred. Well, there was only one in 2011. I can tell you since 2011, it's 80% of tight ends were picked up from 19 to 32. Okay. Four of the five. Yep. Um, But that makes sense to me because that's where the premier tight end typically in a class that doesn't have unicorns in it, like Kyle Pitts, um, (laughs) that's where your number one tight end is probably going to go is in that range. That's where your number one safety might go. And we're seeing safeties getting picked up at a high rate. Um, Cornerback, I think, is interesting because the best cornerbacks typically are coming off the board a little bit earlier than that. So I thought that it was interesting that that the cornerbacks in this range were getting well first of all there were a ton of them yeah. and then they were also getting picked up at a pretty high rate from 2011 to 2014 100% 7 of 7 and then it dropped off precipitously uh to 50% but still 3 of 6 yeah the corner one's interesting because there's a lot of positions there's a lot of slots in your team for that player that right? does make sense for so that that's reason. kind of right. part of it too is like uh hey even if we didn't hit a home run with this corner if he's one of our top three corners, I mean, that's, we'll pay that the option. We'll do the option because otherwise we're in the market and we're paying 13 million a year for Shaq Griffin, or we're paying 15, 16 million a year for Byron Jones. Well, those guys aren't stars either. You know, I mean, they're fine. So you got to be pretty bad at corner just because they need so many of them to not have uh, the option picked up. But speaking of which you did find some interesting data that would indicate that the cornerbacks that are being picked up, being drafted later in the first round are actually having their options picked up at a higher rate than the ones that went early. Uh, corner. Yes. For corner. Yes. Did you say quarterback or corner? No corner corner. Yes. For corner. That's absolutely true. And I think that must be, I wonder if that's just an anomaly. I mean, you'd think those top corners would be at the top, but sometimes you see misses in the top 10. Like I've really noticed it at wide receiver. Uh, corner may be a little bit similar in this way. I'd have to look at it, but like, if you're if you're good enough at those positions to go in the top five, it feels like those people check all the boxes and maybe work out at a higher rate sometimes. Especially, mm-hmm. I've noticed that at receiver, when you think you're getting that, but the guys available towards the bottom of the top ten, certainly at receiver, you see a lot of misses. So I think that would be an interesting thing to look at on the corner. It's there's there's only four or five that are in the top 10 over this period. And there's, you know, there's more that are, that are later uh, four or five that haven't worked out. So 
you know, you deal with a little bit of a sample size issue, but um, that is interesting. It's piqued my interest as we look at, at the corners drafted by Carolina and Denver early. Yeah. You know, are they going to fit into that pattern or were these riskier picks than we think? Tell me more about the wide receivers, what you noticed there. Um, I've just always noticed over the years that uh, if you get into that zone of like seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, just going over the years, you get a lot of misses. I mean, I just remember. You, know, you mean like draft picks, seven, yeah, eight, draft nine, picks, 10? Draft picks, seven to 10 overall. I just always mm-hmm. sort of noticed that. Like if you went back a, a number of years, at the very top, you would see the Larry Fitzgeralds or s- some of the really, really good guys. And then you would see kind of Corn Robinsons and and people who had the talent but were missing something else. Uh, there's been a number of them. Uh, uh, Chicago took one, I believe, and Kevin White. Um, there's been three or four in that sort of seven to ten range that checked some of the boxes. But I think people mm-hmm. were reading uh, the glass half full uh, in the valuations. So. Um, I've always thought that was an interesting area to look at a little bit of a danger zone. Maybe uh, that's interesting. It does feel like that position is one where people tend to project the upside and maybe inaccurately, like, like speed, for instance, right? You go, boy, John Ross is fast. And so some team's going to bite on that, you know, um, more recently though, it hasn't really played out. You know, we don't know where that's going, but Henry Ruggs is a guy that you could look at and go, you know, maybe you just evaluate it wrong. Cause you fall in love with something that's flashy at that position. Yeah. So let's just, I had a minute here to just sort of call it up. So here, here would be sort of your seven to 10 receivers, Mike Williams. He's been, you know, okay, but I think they're still waiting to see Kevin White, Mike Evans, outstanding Tavon Austin. John Ross, you know, and now uh, Demonta Smith, who I, th- I think, you know, looks like he's going to be pretty good, but uh, we'll see. Ooh. Yeah, you know, we'll see. Uh, so the the highest guys, shoot, some of these guys aren't aren't exactly hits either, but we haven't really had anyone in that range, 2011 to 18, that went in like the top three at wide receiver. So you have Amari Cooper, Sammy Watkins, AJ Green at four. I mean, they're all playing. They've all played at a high level at certain times. I mean, I mm-hmm. think uh Watkins maybe a little bit of a disappointment and then you get into that five look at what happens at five Jamar Chase Corey Davis Justin Blackman are at five at six okay Julio Jones Jalen Waddle we'll see but there's a real mix and we already read seven through ten so um I have thought that's an interesting one which positions are not getting picked up yeah so running backs are 0 for 5 0 Uh, for 5 yeah Oh, for five running backs. Uh, I'll give you the names. In the 19 to 32 slots, we had uh, Rashad Penny. He's the only member of the 2018 first round who hasn't started a game. Uh, Mark Ingram wasn't picked up, but it's been a good player. Sam yeah. Michelle not picked up. Doug Martin was not picked up, but or was picked. No, was not picked up, but was a good player. And then David Wilson um, uh, was also in that mix. Doug Martin, I think, just had injuries. I mean, he, he was a good player, but it was sort of a uh, you know, a, a decision to make there. Quarterbacks one out of five. Lamar. What Jackson's. about? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Wasn't Trent Trent uh, Richardson in this mix? Um, Trent Richardson. When was he? No, he was in the top two of the draft. We were just looking at nineteen. Got 32. it. Yes, yeah. you're right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. So nineteen to thirty-two. You're looking at the end of the first round. You're trying to get. You know, at, sometimes you're trying to get a the best player at a non-premium position, or you're trying to get. Yeah. A premium position and taking your chances, you know, New Orleans Saints taking edge rushers down there, that sort of thing. You know what? What the the running back thing, I think, is interesting, mm-hmm. but I do feel like 
because of the general devaluation of the position as a whole across the league, I think that there's a model here for teams to draft running backs in this range that we're talking about. Get yep. the best running back in the draft in some cases yep. in this range. Run the wheels off him. Yep. Then go get another one before you have to pay him. So I almost think that this is a position where you could almost lift it out. Um, as long as the general health of your team is okay and you didn't need to use that first round pick to make yourself better in the long run. So if you were in a position and you're drafting toward the end of the first round, so you're a playoff team, so this is probably true, just plug in a weapon and then just plug in another one in a few years, that might be the best financial model and not an indication of a pick that didn't pan out, quote unquote, right? Yep. And I think this is where there's the debate is over how much do you trust your evaluation? If you're the Pittsburgh Steelers and you're, mm -hmm. you've been a good drafting team and they took Najee Harris, a good running back in the draft. And, you know, there's going to be a certain element of sort of analytically minded people say, God, what are you doing? Yeah. Not a premium position, but um, they are evaluating what else is available there. And they may have a really high grade on Najee Harris and the next guys, they feel like, like in their case, their next pick was a tight end, okay, in the second round. There were no tight ends taken between the running back they took and the tight end they took. So it wasn't like um, if those were the positions they were targeting, they wanted to help out their offense. It wasn't like they necessarily gave up a ton. You could look at the – I'm sure there's going to be some other player, some other position that's a star. But how do you know that? How do you yeah. know which one it's going to be, right? They took who they thought was the best player at a position that they want for their team to be a lot better this year. Yeah. They my the my issue for them was just more the fact that they had these glaring needs across the line and that they valued yep. um, for, I'm sure they have good reasons that I just am not privy to. They valued the running back and the tight end. I thought that the tight end was even more confusing to me than the running back. It, just in terms of how you were going to value your board, but right. um, well, there but were teams I, but all I, over the place on those offensive linemen, though. I mean, there were yes, you know, the, the Colts really needed one, and they held out. You know what I mean? So right. but that, that ends up you. working out for them so long as Eric Fisher gets on the field next year, right? Yeah, I think offensive line was a huge uh, position this year for from mm -hmm. free agency through the draft of how teams evaluated it. I mean, there were. When you look at who was the highest paid offensive lineman in the free agency period, it was Riley Reef at seven and a half million a year, I believe. Uh, you know, other than uh, Trent Williams going back to San Francisco, I'm talking about changing teams. Yeah. So you Lindsley, really went, would it, did he make more than Lindsley? Um, I might he have been talking the about offensive center, tackle. I, think, I was right? talking about tackle. oh god, yes, I was okay. talking about tackles. Sorry, I mm -hmm. meant tackles, not offensive linemen. The tackle market was really interesting to me, and just how teams that had the needs filled it look at the Col the chiefs had to have it they were like we're not messing in this yep. group we're not yep. doing it i had you know which is PMs. funny because we heard for months that this was the best offensive tackle group a very deep class and then all evidence pointed to the fact that the league didn't value it that way right that they really didn't think there were that many sort of true left tackle-y type people mm -hmm. so and look at the colts had to have one didn't even pick one they weren't yeah. going to do it so um, I think that tells you, and then in this draft too, people felt like uh, it really fell off quickly. A lot of guys went back to school rather than let the COVID shortened year um, hurt their draft stock, right? They wanted to be come into the draft with more momentum. So uh, there were fewer people in the draft that teams really liked and valued high. Uh, that could have been part of that too. And that's why some of those teams were even trading out of the draft.
You mentioned quarterbacks not getting their fifth-year options picked up at a high rate um, in this range, again, 19 to 32. The only one that did since 2011 was Lamar Jackson, which that's a no-brainer. Yep. Um, But what do you think that says about – because there are a lot of teams – we talk about this every year at the draft that there might be a team that, you know, tries to trade up to get into the back of the first round to try and get that quarterback. um, And there's some evidence here that that maybe is not a smart strategy. Right. And Lamar Jackson only fell because people weren't sure they wanted to change their offense to meet his strengths, Mm. right? That not every team was going to do what the Ravens did. And so you had a supreme talent go later because of that. The rest of those players, Paxton Lynch, Brandon Whedon, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, they all had things that you would limitations of reasons why you wouldn't take them. So if you're settling for a quarterback late in that round, it's going to be interesting on Jordan Love, right? He's going to be in that mix too coming up. Um, it sort of feels good when you make the pick, hey, we got a quarterback, but not a very high hit rate. I think some of that is just so many of them are going earlier than that now. By the time you're taking one there, you're getting the fourth or fifth quarterback, you know? That's true. Yeah. From a team standpoint, you also sorted this information by teams. One through 32 ranked in order of the percentage of options that the team ended up exercising. And the Chargers came in at number one with 100%. Eight of the eight first rounders uh, in this range between 2011 and 2018 were optioned. Does that, or actually that's not even in this range, right? That's just period. This is, well, 2011 to 2018, mm-hmm. all picks. They came okay. out 100% of picking them up. So all of their first round picks since 2011, they have picked up fifth-year options on. What Does that mean what it looks like? It means that the Chargers just crushing it in the draft? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I would say they didn't. They, there's no one in there that, where they just took and was a terrible player or had a horrible outcome. So I think they did a good job of getting... Uh, players at least you could justify wanting to see a little bit more from. Um, but some of those guys, they didn't resign to second contracts. You know, DJ Fluker was, has been a good guard in the league, but they picked him up and then let him go. You know, Melvin Gordon, they picked up. I ah, didn't really want to go into a long-term deal. Sort of what you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Hey, we got the best years out of this guy. Now, you know, we, we love you. you we go, like Denver. you, but we don't love you. Totally. <laughs> we like you. Um, you know, some of, some of the, Mike Williams is another one, right? I mean, he's, you want to see more, but it hasn't been just an absolute rousing success home run. So I think having 100% doesn't mean that you did, you drafted the best of everybody, but it means you probably didn't make mistakes. You didn't have misses. Were there any teams when you went through this data that you thought this does mean something? There is a takeaway here? Uh, because a lot of this is circumstantial. Some of it can be random. Was it for any team not, in your opinion? Um, well, I think Seattle having 0% was really interesting to me because you would think then that they just had terrible drafts, but they've only picked four players in there. They've right. had the philosophy of trading those picks for whether it's Percy Harvin or Jimmy Graham or, or Jamal Adams. They, they would rather have the marquee player than have uh, the picks. So that's one where it's a terrible percentage of pickups, but Bruce Irvin, Jermaine Effetti, James Carpenter, they all played in the league for a long time and were, were decent and they were all picked late. If you notice in the story, I did list the median uh, pick, you know, so for the Jaguars, their median pick was 4.5 overall. They, had, they only oh hit on 25% gosh. options. So that really stands out as very telling, right? I mean, of they had... How bad their franchise has been, yes. <laughs> and look who they did pick up. Blake Bortles was one of them. Oh. So 
Blake Bortles and Jalen Ramsey. Which is why Jaylen they continue to pick in that range, right? Yeah, but they they did. Leonard Fournette, Luke Jokel, Taven Bryan, Justin Blackman, Dante Fowler, Blaine Gabbert. You know, that's a lot of misses for a picking top five overall on your median pick compared to other teams like, you know, uh, New England or Seattle. Some of these teams picking way down at the bottom all the time. Yeah, 26, the median for Seattle. That's pretty low. Um, You mentioned the Rams as, you know, part of the reason that that you wanted to look into this further. Um, It feels like this approach has worked out for them so far, but there are also a lot of people that just sort of assume that the bottom is going to fall out at some point, that all of this kicking the can down the road will catch up with them. Is that a given, in your opinion, based on the data that you've looked at? Uh, no, but I mean, I think they have to then draft better after the first round, and they've done that. I mean, they, they've hit on players there. Now, can you do that forever by just having a good volume of picks in that area? You know, we'll see. I'm sure there'll come a point when they have some bad drafts, and it costs them, and they'll have some losing. You know, then they have a, a losing season as a result. But I understand what they're doing. I think also in that market, it's a star-driven market. It's a relevancy market. It's a battle for relevancy. And so they're playing a different game than uh, Green Bay is, where uh, they're going to have a waiting list on season tickets, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? So I think the Rams are are melding together this from a philosophical standpoint and from a, we got we to gotta keep moving the needle here. You know, we this isn't good enough. We got to be doing something else. So you're saying they needed a Ramsey to have a face to put on the billboard and they needed a Stafford to have a face to put on the billboard that that some of their moves aren't just driven? Um, by? Yes. I Well, I mean, I'm sure their personnel department felt good about all the guys they were getting, but um, there's no question that Jared Goff was good enough to stick with. They could have stayed with, like the, with the Rams, they could have stayed with Jared Goff and... I think it's driven by two things, not just the, the star-driven nature of L.A. They've got a head coach, too, who comes from John Gruden. John Gruden, uh, Sean McVay, they're, they're never happy with their quarterbacks. They always want the next person, right? They always sort of have that one eye wandering on. There was hey. some reason for the eye to wander, though, in this particular oh, yeah. case. There was. You could see it during the year because he was, like, ripping them after games. You know, I thought it was over the top, like, frustration that uh, McVay was showing with Goff during the year after the Miami game. I was like, well, well, what about our protections here? Is there anything else we could do, coach? He just turned on him. Didn't you think? He was so bad in that game, though. Yeah, okay. I don't so want to, like, with rip Jared Goff, but, you know, I yeah. may or may not have a Rams fan in my household who was like, done, done. <laughs> yeah. So I had to listen to all of that complaining. I agree, though. I mean, I felt like I feel like – I understand the frustrations with Goff, but I also understood the limitations all along. And I think that That's Sean McVay point, should right. have too. And instead yeah. McVay acted like, well, he didn't take the next step. And it's like, okay, who said he was going to, you know, I mean, he is what he is. Cause McVay loved it when they were saying that McVay is the reason for all the success. Right. And we're, and yeah. he's the guy calling the strength, pull, you know, changing the plays and doing all that before the snap. Well, and then they extended him after all of the things that we saw this yeah. year that were problematic had already come to light. So that was very coach driven to me, but the Ramsey move was seemed star driven and I don't disagree with it. Still, yeah. when these moves happen and the two number ones go, I always think, Oh, it's a lot. Like my initial reaction, they trade for Stafford. I'm like, Oh, two ones and a three. And then I'm like, 
the two who ones are those are gonna... two ones? Let's go look at who those Let's two ones anybody. might be, right? You like, know, if you've ever had a lottery yes. ticket, until Saturday night's drawing, you feel like there's a chance. And then you're like, hey, you know what I would do when this, this thing hits? And then you realize it's worthless. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I had no problem with that trade right out of uh, off the bat. Yeah. But so to the point that you made about them drafting well in the later rounds, um, they have, to their credit, a league-high 190 starts in the past four years. I got this from your yeah. article from third and fourth round draft picks. So they're hitting at an incredibly high rate yep. with the picks in that range. Yep. And so the, obviously no one can do that forever, right? But they have a process to it where we're going to have more of those picks. Uh, and so, you know, those darts on the dartboard thing, right? We're, we're increasing our chances of hitting a bullseye. So I totally understand what they're doing. I think it's interesting. Um, you can criticize them for having paid Gurley too much, for having paid Goff too much. Those are all legitimate criticisms, but this idea of giving up the late round picks that other teams might overvalue um, to me makes sense. And I think there's a market for it too. Like Ramsey wasn't going to be the, the Jaguars had reason to do it too. Right. I mean, the Ramsey was done with them for whatever reason, he wasn't as valuable to them. So they get a couple pick building blocks. It made sense for them too. Yeah. Well now they are, have put themselves in a position this year to yeah. practically start from scratch. It feels like just yeah. bring in an, all new stuff and build from there. So you did all of this research, you do this deep dive. What do you, what did you walk away thinking or what were your takeaways? Um, definitely that I lean towards, I'd rather have the veteran player than these picks. I mean, I think that's the takeaway um, that we can see now the positional aspect of it is still in my mind. I would, I'd like to say, but it gives me, this gives me a lens kind of to look at, trades and drafts through right we're looking for probabilities we're looking for percentages we're looking for something tangible from this process that just feel it feels like a crapshoot and it feels like uh, we don't know for sure what's going to happen and we're trying to sort of figure out how much hope to really have for these picks right what are they really so um, those types of trade-offs to me are now how i view the draft who could they have gotten for that pick right what else mm. should they have done not just it's not fair to the teams to say they should have picked this guy two rounds later who became a star it's more like what were all of the options who else should have been in this world of maybe trying to get a sure bet and who are those players going to be this next year who are the guys that are going to be available who are the amari coopers right how about julio jones hmm? well, jones do you trade do you trade a first rounder for julio jones right now I don't think so because I, I don't think there's that market for him. I think you'd get him for less because I think they have an incentive to, to unload him from a cash and cap. For standpoint. sure. So I'd be trying to get him for less than that. Plus, there's some injury concerns with him. I so when you say there's not a market, why would there not be a market? Like, it feels well, like as long as there are a handful of teams who could use him who feel like they're ready to make a run because we're obviously not looking at a rebuilding team. We're looking at a team that has money that also is in position to make a Super Bowl run, right? Be very, very competitive. I would assume, because you, you assume you're only getting him probably for a couple of years, potentially. Right. So I feel like, and maybe this is overvaluing the first round picks too. Maybe somebody should give a one who's picking at the bottom for him and just say, we're getting two to three years of Julio Jones and that's worth it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of these other ones that have been moved were younger players and you felt like not only are we going to get a couple, two, three years at them, but then we're going to extend them. Right. So when you look at Jalen Ramsey, when you look at, um, 
Jamal Adams, when you look at Amari Cooper, they were all sort of in that 25-year-old sweet spot range. So would you do that for somebody who's 32? At what point does that trade-off of all of these things we're talking about, the age, the upside, the future, um, where's that tipping point for where we wouldn't do it? And usually when you're acquiring somebody who's not a quarterback for, um, you know, who's older, injury concerns, you're not going to do another contract with them. If you acquire Julio Jones, you're not going to do a $20 million a year deal for him. Yeah. You're just you're letting this one run. Yep. Is that enough to feel like we'd give up a one for that? That's that I'm not there yet. I think it, de- so for me, it depends on what you think you can do this year. And if he puts you over the top to being able to accomplish that, like if you are in that mix of competitive teams, you're going to go to the playoffs, but you're probably not going to go all the way, but then you add Julio Jones. And now you're all of a sudden a team that is in competition with the chiefs and you're in competition with the bucks and you're in that conversation. Then to me, I I would make that trade. If I assume that I'm going to be good enough that I'm going to pick at the bottom of the first round, because I just learned so much information from you about how, um, not so valuable those picks might be like the Niners, for instance, I, they have a pretty I'm, good roster. You're right on my, you're, you're thinking exactly like me. I want to look at the teams because as I was going through them in my head and just looking at, okay, who are the teams that were good last year? Right. That's really what we're talking about. And which by the you, way, the Niners were not, which almost ends up benefiting them in the long run because they got that high draft pick, but they have a great roster. They just all got hurt. Right. So let's just go through, let's go through the teams that had winning records last year and say, if you'd like them for Julio Jones, okay. Kansas City Chiefs overkill, they got enough weapons, right? Yeah, that no. Mm-mm. Green Bay, you're going to have to pay Devontae Adams. Is that worth it to you? And you, to lure back Rodgers? Oh my gosh. I hadn't even thought about Green Bay. Does Green Bay have money? I'm sure that someone's going to look at what they have left and say you can't do it but there's always winners of winners away if you went to aaron Rodgers and he's really mad and he said aaron we'll redo your deal we're going to extend you for three years and we'll do a new deal take you to the top of the market we need the cap space for two and we'll lock in julio for the next two years and you go julio and Devante. you in that would solve so many problems you're right yeah fantasy land but it's but it's fun to talk about right okay i'm gonna look i'm gonna go look up that one after we get off to make sure that it's not crazy fantasy land from a financial standpoint because i actually very much like that but it it solves all sorts of problems but it's not if it it is fantasy land but if rogers did a new deal that lowered his cap number then you could do it i do think it's still fantasy land it's not a it's not a green bay type move they would never do that but but they're in a weird yeah set of circumstances where they're going to have to do something that they don't want to do, whether that's trader and Rogers. I mean, who's doing that? Uh, Whether that's, you know, making a move to make him happy, you know, one of the two is going to have to happen probably. Yep. So Buffalo bills, probably not because they got to pay digs, right? They just got digs. They're they're doing well. Seattle. I mean, Seattle is always in it for everybody, but they, they've given away their next year's for one. They don't even have one. Right. For that the would Jamal make Russell happy, but, but they got DK coming up. They just paid Lockett. I yeah. mean, I don't know. Yeah, Saints. They still got to figure out who their quarterback they, is. Well, they have no money. They have no money. No money. Like they're it's the screwed. one team in the league that has less money than Atlanta, which is that's the reason they're in this position. So no. Pittsburgh drafts third rounders and turns them into good receivers. They're not doing. They that. don't need them. Uh, Baltimore people think that receivers are going to solve it for Baltimore. It's their offense. That no receivers are going to be happy in Baltimore. Okay. 
They You're think- just saying it's not a pass-driven offense because no. that's not what Lamar Jackson's strengths are, so it'll never well, be that? Well, Lamar Jackson isn't going to be a high-volume, short to intermediate passer. He's going to make great plays down the field off of their run game, and he's going to throw touchdown passes. Well, you know but, who can catch those. Right. He can, he can catch those, but I think it's less of a good fit than people think. I don't think throwing receivers there is going to change who they are and suddenly open it up and, wow, this is what's been missing. Okay. That's just my opinion. Uh, Tampa Bay, no, they've got enough stuff mm-hmm. going on. Cleveland's already in the Odell world. I don't, I don't see it. Um, Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee, maybe. Tennessee, you're not, you're not Tennessee makes sense. No, I'm thinking about it. I was actually <laughs> still stuck on the Browns. I was like a minute behind oh. about whether or not if I was Cleveland, if I would go get Julio and deal Odell somewhere else. Odell, yeah, and you got Jarvis Landry, and you've got you just acquired this tight end who's making good money. I feel like their offensive system is motoring whether they do it or not. But it's interesting. It's interesting. Tennessee would Tennessee would benefit from having him there. Yeah. Him and AJ Brown, and you just say, Hey, we're going to ramp this thing yeah. up another year and we're going to outscore our opponents because we're not going to be good defensively. Um, okay, I'll buy that. Yeah. Um, now you could have done the option on uh Corey Davis, but I understand Julio Jones is way better. Colts, it's not a Colts type move. Uh, um, I think in they've got way? young what guys do they like. When have they been in the patch with this type of player? Thing. I mean, other than Philip Rivers, who's an old guy at quarterback, I think quarterbacks are different. I don't see them doing it, but they have tons of cap room. They could do it. And now we're in to a degree. Yeah, we're spot. into Miami. Miami just drafted a guy in the top five quarterback receiver. They're not doing it. Yeah. I don't no, think. Although got- it would be a it would be a Stephen Ross flash move. The Rams, they just traded their next no. couple ones. They're not doing it. No. And now we're into everyone else's five hundred or worse. What about the Chargers? With Justin Chargers. Herbert and all that upside. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Now the Chargers. It, it would kind of and... depend on whether or not they were going to be good enough. I kind of think they they could be a sneaky contender yeah. this year. I would and like Julio to see put, them... makes them not so sneaky. I would Tough like division. to see them try something because you're in this freaking division with yeah. Mahomes. You're not winning it by just hitting a three wood off the tee. Right. You're not winning it with a mid range jump shot. We got to hit a three pointer. We got to carry the water. And, and so, you know, in a golf sense, we got to carry the water. Um, w- this would be a move. Now, they've gone an entire calendar year without making any trades. They're not an active team. They have the fewest draft day trades. They don't do anything like that. It's not in their MO. But I, I th- it'd be fun to me. Like, if they did that, because they're not, they're not winning the division. The point that you brought up about the Rams needing faces for their billboards Holy moly. So the Chargers found somebody when they drafted Justin Herbert in that department, but I live in LA, right? And there there are not Chargers fans here. Like they're <laughs> no. they just they don't exist here. No. Right. They left them in San Diego. There's a handful of people sporadically. You don't see Chargers gear out and about. No, I think Justin Herbert's a great draft pick and will change that in the years to come. And this is a front running city. So if they win, everyone will be on board. Um, but Julio put some butts in the seats. I like that too. I thought they should have been in the mix for Tom Brady. You know, Me the whole thing, too. like these guys need relevance and, and they're not going to get it by just picking up eight out of eight options for, um, you know, good, not great players. Yeah. 
I don't so, know how much money they have to throw around right now. Obviously, for different yeah. reasons, there have been conversations about how cash-strapped they might be. No doubt. That could that could be a factor that cash is, everyone talks about cap, but cash is the number one thing that's talked about in the buildings. It's what people care about. It's really the, why moves get made more than cap. What about one more team that was not good last year? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I know who you're going to say. What about the Patriots? Oh, okay. That wasn't who I... It wasn't. Okay. I thought you were going to say Washington. Um, oh my gosh. They are they're like my favorite team this year. I mean, yeah. not my favorite team, but they're my favorite, you know, underdog kind of yeah. this year to do something. But... Patriots, yeah, okay. wow. It's the most... I mean, it's not... Well, in some ways, it is kind of a Patriots move, right? Go get Randy oh, Moss at the Brandon end. Cooks. Like, they traded for Brandon Cooks and had him for yeah. only a year or two. Um. I would love it. I sort of feel like Robert Kraft woke up, realized he's 70, however many years old, and said, we got to do this. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, this isn't going to be. And, and, that and, last year uh, sucked. 70. Yeah, last year <laughs> sucked. Well, there's no five-year plans here. I was almost a little surprised they weren't more aggressive in the quarterback market, you know. But uh, that would really be something. That would really be something if they got him. I don't know that I see it happening, but I, I think I would go, okay. I'm more interested. Ooh, week four, bring it on! Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? I think they'd be a great team for for it, um, whether they would do it or not. And then Washington doesn't really need it. I think they've they've already addressed the position. Yeah. I actually like Washington's offense uh, as it is. Yeah, I like Washington's offense as it is. 49ers, you know, you, you reunite them with Kyle Shanahan. Um, they've got decent young receiver there. I mean, it would be fun, but. They've traded their next 17 first round picks, I think, to move up for Trey Lance. So that's <laughs> so true. Not happen. That's so true. Well, but that's well, yeah, I was gonna say even more reason to like just go get it done, you know, like yeah, win a Super Bowl, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the team, so I don't really I don't really see it. So yeah, we found a lot of places solved everyone's problems. <laughs> that's what we do, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so easy to do when you're not accountable to how any of it comes out, you know? Totally. None of this works out. No problem. This won't show up on cold takes. That's right. Mike, I really appreciate your time. This has been fun for me. Thank you, Lindsay. And you can follow Mike on Twitter at Sando NFL. You can find his work and the article we discussed here on the athletic website also. And you can hear him on his podcast with Randy Mueller, who remember we talked to a few weeks ago. It's called The Football GM. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you back here again next week.